Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus, and this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't want you to do anything, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going through, see where we are, and would you move on our behalf? I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to live even more for Jesus. We're on week seven of Stopping Jesus, and last week to me was pretty profound as we learned that as Jesus stopped, really it wasn't for Judas, but he was stopping for us. The moment in which he surrendered in strength, but um, I want to add something. I was meditating on our theme scripture out of Isaiah 66, 1 through 2 in this stopping Jesus. And looking at that verse 2, the latter part, it says, but it is the one, but this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And I want to focus for just a couple of moments on how we get there. How we get there. And I don't want us to ever get to the point where we think we have to do it on our own. That's what I love about this scripture, verses 1 and 2, and what I love about where we're going with this theme. If you notice, throughout all of these weeks that we've been together, Jesus has done the work, and our lives have been transformed, or the people we've talked about, and we'll look at them here in just a minute. But in John 2, John 2, verses 19 through 22, it says, Jesus answered them, this is after he's gone in and he's found the temple, full of money changers and being used for improper methods. People aren't gathering to worship. They're gathering to make money. And uh, he didn't like what was going on, and he had this righteous anger stir up within him, and he literally threw tables over and ran all of these people out of the, the, uh, the temple. And now he looks at the people gathered around him in verse 19, and he says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said... It has taken 46 years to build this temple. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, and the disciples remember that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And we've got this idea that they've got the temple, and the temple being the, the very structure that houses the presence of God. And um, in the Jewish tradition and custom, that's where they go to make their sacrifices and their sin sacrifices to make things right. And it's where they they go to um, uh, worship. But they're worshiping in a sense of a place where there's really no gathering of the true presence of God anymore. There's been a separation between man and God that Jesus would fulfill here in just a very, uh, very short amount of time. And Jesus is saying to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. It makes me go back to Isaiah 66. Because when you look at verse 20, the Jews said it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And Jesus responds back and says, I'm talking about my body. And when we look back at Isaiah 66, our theme scripture says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Can you imagine now this temple that Jesus or that God is talking about can't be one that's fashioned by man. Now, he's asking this 
this, this question in a way that we as mankind can't seem to grasp our, our understanding around because we don't see things in the space in which God sees them. And we've got God here, and he's saying, if heaven is my throne and if the earth is my footstool, whom of you can build a house for me? And I would like to say none of us in this room can do such a thing. And then in verse 2, he goes on and he says, and I won't keep running back and forth, but I want us to see this together. In verse 2, he says, all these things my hand has made. All these things my hand has made. And these things have come to be, declares the Lord. And then I go back again to John chapter 2 when Jesus says, In three days I will raise it up. And then I go back and I think about how this is a picture of, of the work that Jesus does in us, that we are saved by grace, not by any works, lest any man should boast. That God has done a work in us that we can't even begin to perform ourselves. How cool is that? And then as we surrender to the working of God, surrender to his goodness, surrender to his ability to do a work that we cannot do ourselves, it's in that surrender that we become that person that is pointed here. This is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and he trembles. He trembles at my word. When's the last time? When was the last time you trembled at his word? When was the last time you hung on the very next word of God? When was the last time you couldn't wait to hear what he had to say? And all that moves us in to our series, Stopping Jesus. And recapping, when we looked at blind Bartimaeus, remember we like to take away the title and just call him Bartimaeus because he was no longer blind. He was seeing Bartimaeus. And Jesus approaches him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, can I see again? And Jesus says, you will. And we discovered in that message that as we stop for, or when Jesus stops for us, we must stop for others. And we were encouraged to then begin to go out of these walls right here and begin to tell other people about who this king is and understanding that he wants to demonstrate through us his love and compassion. And we looked at this lame man at the pool of Bethesda and we discovered as Jesus approached him, he says, do you want to be healed? Knowing exactly where he was sitting, knowing, knowing exactly his circumstances and his situations. The man said, but I have no one to put me in the water, and if I do, they're here too late. We discovered through that message that we need to quit making excuses why God cannot use us. We need to quit making excuses why we can't walk into the fulfillment of the promise of God in our lives. And we looked at Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus in this song. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. We try to move away from those, those ideas of 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 what we grew up hearing and look at these scriptures and these, these stories for the first time as if we've never heard them to hear what God is speaking to us today. We discovered through Zacchaeus that he was an unlikely candidate. Listen, there's probably no greater sinner than the one standing in front of you in this room, but it's by grace that I've been saved. It's through his righteousness that I've been made right. It's what he's done in my life that I can now live right for him. I couldn't do it without him. We discovered Zacchaeus, as he had a revelation of who Jesus was, he got everything right as well. And we looked at Jacob. 
Jacob in the Old Testament is he was a self-made man. He went about and he made things happen. He made wealth for himself through uh, working for his uh his uncle and then gaining his wives and, and, and the wealth that came with that as he uh, forced the blessing, the hand of God through his father, the blessing upon himself and all these things that he put into motion. And then he wrestles with God or with Jesus all night long. And there he is standing before the Bible calls him a man. Jacob calls him the he stood face to face with God. And the only expression of God that I know is as man is Jesus. He must have been standing for Jesus. Jesus stopped for Jacob. And in that moment, Jacob realized he had to have complete reliance upon God. He couldn't do this in his strength. He couldn't get ultimately where God wanted him to go. He couldn't overcome his fears. He couldn't overcome his limitations. If it wasn't for God's work in his life. And then. Last week, again, we looked at Judas, and Jesus stopped for Judas to kiss him. But he wasn't stopping for Judas. He was stopping for you, and he was stopping for me. And this week, I want to look at the Samaritan, the woman at the well, when Jesus stopped for her, and he opened some things up gloriously, miraculously for her. Check this out. Look with me at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Were you able to access it at all? Yeah, because this is, I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation, so no one's Bible is going to even try to read with it. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, so looking at John chapter 4. This is a newer translation, the Passion Translation. If you've got the Bible app, it is in there under TPT. But verse 1, it says, Soon the news reached the Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized than even John. John the Baptist, we've heard of him. He was a pretty big deal. John the Baptist was uh, making a way for the message that Jesus would bring. And in verse 2, it says, Although Jesus didn't baptize, he had his disciples baptize the people. Jesus heard what was being said, and he abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. And key verse 4, he had to pass through the Samaritan territory. Now, if you'll recall, uh, Aaron, we talked about this in our following series um, when we looked at uh, expanded love, when Jesus uh, talked through this story that we have an expanded love or he has an expanded love for us. We discovered through this story that uh, most Jewish people avoided Samaria. They would take the longer route to go around Samaria on their journeys, they wouldn't go right through it because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They, weren't, they were a mix of people that had no, well, they just didn't, weren't liked by a full-blood Jew. They were not premium people, so to speak. And, but Jesus had a compulsion. He had to pass through. I believe he knew that he was going to have an encounter or someone was going to have an encounter with him. He had to go through so that he could stop and check this out in verse 5. It says, Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This was done long ago in verses 6 through 8 lumped together here. It said, wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well And he sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Isn't it interesting? We'll read in this story that Jesus is a well, but isn't it it crazy that Jesus sits upon the well much like a lid, capping it from all the impurities, capping it from all that could access 
the, the destruction of what is there. And he says in his expression right here, he sits on the top of the well being the well. So you've got a well sitting on a well. What a powerful image of where we need to be understanding that there are circumstances, there are things around us, there are distractions, there are impurities that are trying to access our lives on a day-to-day basis. But if we would allow Jesus to sit upon our heart, to cap our heart from those imperfections, those impurities from accessing them, and let him be the well, the life spring, the living life into our lives, we would find out how to truly live our lives. And we're getting ready to see what happens for this woman as she walks in a place of revelation. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprise, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? And Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And the woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestors, Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? And Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks of the living water that I give them, they will never thirst again for and will be forever satisfied And Jesus' name, I'm looking for that place of forever satisfaction. I think as as Americans, people, uh, we just, in in the culture that we live, in the places that we are, we are forever seeking satisfaction and oftentimes never finding it. We're always looking for the next place to to go in our careers, in our education, to go in, in our relationships, and always seeking every outside source of satisfaction, where be it money, sex, or whatever, and we find out in the end that the only place to find satisfaction is in whom we are talking about today, and his name is Jesus. Continues, for when you drink the water that I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up. I want you to pay attention to that word springing up. We're going to look at that here in just a minute and flooding you with endless life. And the woman replied, let me drink the water so that I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to the water. I want to point out something that this woman still doesn't quite understand where she's sitting with or whom she's sitting with, for she hasn't grasped the the figurative language that he's throwing at her right now in this moment, for he's offering her a drink of water. And she says, I don't want to have to walk back down to this well over and over and over. And he's not giving us a way out of our path. He's giving us a way into total freedom. Then Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. She replies, I'm not married. Jesus, that's true. For you've been married five times and now you're with a man who is not your husband. That is how many men? Six. You have told the truth. The woman said, listen, I'm going to back up just a minute. You have told the truth. There is safety in the truth when you're in the presence of God. When Jesus approaches us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstance we're in, no matter what kind of sin we're dealing with, what kind of depression we're hanging on to, no matter what kind of turbulence is in our lives, we can rest assured that when we come to Jesus with total honesty and total freedom, we can find that he won't uh, discredit us, discard us, move us away, and limit 
limit his presence within our lives, but it's in truth that he can begin to move in our lives and wipe us clean of those things that have messed us up in the past, those things that those bad thinkings, those, those, those worldly processes in our lives that seem to distract us from uh, abiding in the true presence of God. All those things no longer have any bearing and into truth when we come into his presence, he just meets us there. Amen. And the woman said, you must be a prophet. I think it's safe to say she still doesn't know who she's talking about. Yes, he must be a prophet, but we know because we have such access to the word of God, we have such access to, to teachings and insights, we know that this man is so much more than a prophet, for she is now standing in the very presence of God in man form. So in verse 20, tell me this, why do your fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain? Why your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. Jesus responded to her, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience for it is from the Jews that salvation is made available. Of course, we know he's talking about himself being a Jew. And in verse 23, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. So we know that she's been in teachings about about God. She knows that she's standing in a place of waiting on the coming Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And Jesus said to her, this is so powerful. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. Don't you wish he would reveal things that clearly to you? Don't you wish? I wish he would reveal things that clearly to me. I wish he would say as clearly as he said to her who he is things to me and what I need to do. I'm the one, he says. You're talking of the Messiah. I am him, and I am standing in your very presence. And at that moment, the disciples returned, and they were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared ask why, ask him why or what they were discussing. And all at once, the woman dropped her water jar, and she ran off to the village and told everyone. Come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one. We've been waiting for... Hear this, the people came streaming out of the village. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of of the village to go see Jesus. Listen, when we have encounters with Jesus, when we have an encounter with the living king, when we meet him face to face, when he reveals who he is to us and our countenance is affected by that, People can't help but want what we have. People people can't help but be drawn to where we're getting this life source from. When we're tapped into the well of living springs of water, I think I said that right, people will want to join in. Listen, this that we call church isn't outdated. This is what we call church isn't behind the times. Listen, we can set trends. We can move forward and, and dictate where the culture is going instead of culture dictating where we need to go. And people will see that we've been in the very presence of God, encountering the living spring of Jesus Christ. And when that happens and truly is happening in our lives, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, when we encounter people, they will encounter Jesus and they will be drawn to where we're finding that source. Amen? So I want to look at some observations with you. 
Just, just a couple of observations from this story. We'll expand on some of the verses and then maybe our lives will be forever changed by being in the very presence of God. And observation number one, Jesus presents himself to be satisfied by us. It's kind of an interesting way to think about this encounter. Jesus presents himself to be satisfied by us. Do you realize that since the beginning of time, since God created man, he created us to have relationship with us? That tells me that deep down, somewhere in his thinking, somewhere in his processes of doing things, he wants to have encounters with you and me, just like you and I want to have encounters with him. Just as I want to sit in a place of being satisfied by his presence, he finds satisfaction in being with us. How do I know this? Looking at verses 4 through 6, wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well, sent his disciples to the village to buy food, for it was already noon. And soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Listen, when he said to her, give me a drink of water, you can look at the, the, the Aramaic, you can look at the, the words within here, but you can draw from this that Jesus is not asking her to lower the bucket down into the well. He's asking her to sit and have relationship with him. He's asking her to sit and abide in his presence. He's asking her to be there and be fully present to encounter the living king. He wants to encourage her to be present with him. And that's why when we gather in this place for the first half hour or so, or longer, sometimes a prolonged amount of time, we enter through worship and we express our love and our desire for him through song because it is a place not only for us to connect with him, but for him to be able to experience our presence For we come in and we think that these glorious times of worship are all about experiencing the presence of God for ourselves. But I'll tell you, it's a two-way street. That we come in and yes, we do experience his presence, but he wants to experience our presence too. He says, give me a drink of water. And he's going to reveal what drinking of the well from him, his water is referring to. But there's a connection between the two that just as Jesus is going to offer her a water that will satisfy her where she'll never be thirsty again, he wants to have a drink. And I can tell you, he's not thirsty. He wants relationship. Observation number two. So simple. Life is in the water. Jesus is our water. Life is in the water. Do you want life? And I'm not talking about just breathing, waking up and having a pulse. I'm talking about living, talking about experiencing all that God has for us. I'm talking about knowing the fullness of what God has put us on this earth for. Do you want life? John 14, but if anyone drinks the water that I give him, they will never thirst again and will be satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with the desert life. Listen, I want to read this out of the the translation here, Passion Translation, because it says it so so amazingly. It blew my mind as I was looking at it last night. Listen, Listen to what Dr. Brian Simmons says. The Greek word here for springing up is halameno. It's kind of a fun word. It's never, listen, it's never used for inanimate objects. It's a verb used for people, for living things. It means jumping and leaping. The Septuagint translates this verb elsewhere as an activity of the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> so so when, when we look at this presentation of Jesus before this woman and he says that I, what I give you becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit and it is springing up. It's not like a, a spring of water bubbling from the ground, but it's like old faithful. It's a geyser. It's, it's gushing forth with force ready to make its way upon us so that we have a true encounter that goes beyond anything beyond our wildest imagination. Can you imagine a place with a God who wants to meet us in a tangible way that ex- goes beyond our wildest imagination, that is an expression from heaven that isn't just goosebumps, but it's a flood upon this place. It's a flood upon our heart. It is a real encounter that is tangible beyond tangible. People say, well, I don't know about this God thing. I don't know about Jesus because I I can't feel him. I don't know him. I, I know this chair. This chair is real. I know this, I can believe in this chair, but I, I can't believe in Jesus because I can't know him as real. I can't see him, feel him, touch him. But I'm telling you that this kind of springing up is the kind that turns this Jesus that we're talking about from an imagination into a reality. Oh, I long for that kind of an expression of his presence, not just occasionally. Not just on Sunday morning, but in every day of our lives as we seek to encounter him. And when that happens, life comes to who Jesus is. Life comes to who we are. And in that life, we look at verse 3, and this is pretty intense. Or not verse 3, observation 3, sorry. Jesus reveals our humanity. Is anyone in here not human other than Evelyn? It's my three-year-old. She's kind of crazy. When Jesus says, go get your husband, she replies back, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. In a sense, every one of us has been married to our five senses. And then the six, can you see the connection here? Five men, five senses. The six connects men to our fallen humanity. For six is the number of man who is created on the sixth day. Our heart can never be satisfied with what is on earth. I'm going to say that again. Our heart, we can never be satisfied. Our hearts can never be satisfied with what is on earth. We must have the living water that comes from heaven. Christ is the seventh heaven. Husband, sorry, is the seventh husband. Wow, I was starting to get into weird doctrine there for just a minute. I don't want to get, this isn't a cult or anything. (laughs) He's our seventh husband. Listen, seven is the number of completion. The only one who satisfied Christ is our real husband. And when we, Jesus reveals our humanity, we discover that we have been seeking out to, to, to satisfy the, the fleshly desires that we have and, and satisfy our senses. But we've got to realize that in our humanity, Jesus comes on scene and he doesn't wipe away our senses. He wipes away our desire to fulfill the lust of the flesh. He wipes away our desire to fulfill our senses as the only need to find satisfaction and he becomes that extra. He becomes the completion within our lives and he becomes our real husband, 
And for the guys in this room, I know it's weird and hard to maybe think in those terms of having husbands. But as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus has come to bring us as a spotless, spotless, blemishless bride into his presence forever. And so we're constantly seeking out to find ways to to find uh, purity within our lives. But we've got to realize that I don't have to pursue anything but him And when I pursue him, he does the work of bringing about the righteousness and therefore completing the work within us, separating us from a desire to fulfill our flesh, just as that was talking about, and puts us in a place of fulfilling his desires. Goes back to what we said um, for months and months. It's where we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And then observation four. If Jesus reveals our humanity, he also must reveal his deity, that he is God. And he says to the woman in verse 25, this is, or she says, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And Jesus said to her, you have, uh, you don't have to wait any longer. Oh, can't wait to hear him say, you don't have to wait any longer. I'm going to fulfill my promises for this place. I'm going to fulfill my promises in you. I'm going to move you to the next stage, the next place, the next anointing, the next hope. But Jesus says, or you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. Do you see how this is all lining up and getting in line even with the, the worship set, the songs that we sang this morning? Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. I believe he's saying to us today, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm here to set you free. I'm here to to deliver you from captivity. I'm here to open up the floodgates of heaven to to pour out a blessing upon your life. I'm here to to release the anointing, to to move in the gifts. I'm ready to show you how to, to walk in compassion, to make a difference wherever it is that you are in your schools, in your in your workplace, and, and in the life that you are living in. I'm here and I've opened up the floodgates of heaven and It's today, which really moves me to my fifth and final observation. You see, Jesus has revealed who he is, and we've seen a theme throughout all of our weeks in realizing that many of these people that we've talked about from Bartimaeus to Zacchaeus, they don't know who Jesus is. They know of him, but they don't know him. They have an encounter with him and they have a revelation of who he is. Zacchaeus, the Bible says, went out to to discover, to see who this Jesus was. And he did climb up in a sycamore tree and Jesus came to him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house tonight. And as, as they're encountering each other, as Zacchaeus is encountering Jesus, the transition of verbiage goes from Zacchaeus wanting to know who Jesus is to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus referring to him as Lord. And then in that revelation of who he is as Lord, Zacchaeus then makes right the wrongs that he's ever made. You see, there's a process where where we don't have to get right to get into the presence of God. We get into the presence of God and he makes us right. Did you hear that? 
And then once we're in the presence of God and he's made us right, the more right we get in his presence, the more his presence can be poured out in our lives. The lame man at Bethesda, he was questioned after he received his healing. Who did this? He says, some man. Then he had a second encounter with Jesus and, and he and he's, runs back to those that question him. He says, the Lord. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. And that's my fifth observation. Number five. With revelation comes proclamation. Verse 28, all at once the woman dropped her water jar and she ran off to the village. I can only imagine what this picture must have looked at look like so there's Jesus and there's this woman and they're conversing and Jesus is revealing and she's experiencing and all of a sudden she must have been overcome with joy or overcome with something about who this man was and she just drops and she runs she can't wait she can't contain it she can't hold it in anymore for she has had an encounter with the king of kings and she must let the world know and so she takes off and she runs to her village and she tells everyone she says come and meet the man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Are you having encounters with God to the extent that you have such a revelation that you have to get out, you have to talk about it? It's easy to come to this place. Generally, we have more people here. We've got, just reference, we've got sick people. And this is a healed people, sick people. We've got a woman on bed rest, pregnant, and sleepy people, really. <laughs> but anyway, rain is against us today. But listen, we can't just come into this place and say, oh, God was so good in church and leave and tomorrow be unchanged. And what we had in here was just a simple encounter with the presence of God. But I'm telling you, when we come with this bona fide, deep righteous encounter with the presence of God where we find ourselves that even the songs that we sing don't do justice to the emotion that we're feeling within the presence of God where we find ourselves that we have to stop that and we can only just stand in awe of who he is and he begins to speak and reveal and open up and share all of a sudden there will come a point where we have to meet with him tomorrow and we have to meet with him the next day and those encounters with him transform who we are by speech we have to proclaim who he is in every moment what a powerful encounter this woman must have had this is really one of the very first uh, depictions of an evangelist that we find in the bible and god didn't use a man he didn't use The one you'd expect, he used a Samaritan, a half-breed, an unwanted person, and he used a woman. He used the least of the least, yet another unlikely candidate. And, And so we've got this exchange now between Jesus and his disciples, and 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 we we discover some more about him, and then we jump to the end of the story in verse 39. 42 and it says this is in the ESV translation many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony the testimony of it was he told me all that I ever did you see she didn't have to 
have a Bible school degree. She didn't have to study her Bible so much that she knew everything about it. All she had to have was an encounter with Jesus and tell people about that encounter. You want to know what to tell people about your Jesus? Tell them what he's doing in your life. And if you have to stand before me or before your mirror, better yet, and look at it and say, I have nothing to say, then maybe it's time to have some encounters with Jesus. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know now that this indeed is the Savior of the world. We can lead people into this place. We can lead people into his presence. But it's in his presence where true revelation takes place. We've got to be in his presence. Amen. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts. But also in the area of support, if you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiami.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com and click on the give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.